We're going to be talking today about walking wisely in a divided world. My name is Ed Stetzer, uh, interim teaching pastor here, and uh, excited about this passage in particular. I want to encourage you to take a moment. You can take out your program that you received when you came in. Inside that program, there's Moody Fest information, but there's also a message note sheet that I would commend to you to follow along with us today. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 is going to be our passage, and the theme is ties with the title, Walking Wisely in a Divided World. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 will be our text. This passage is literally about walking. Be careful how you walk. You know, how is your walk? And we're going to talk about that. Now, depending upon your age, when you hear the phrase, walk like, sometimes something comes to your mind. Let's just see if it's true for how many of you. Are you ready to say it out loud? Walk like an Egyptian. You have to be a certain age. Some of you are looking at one another, say, why is this the case? I can't really explain it, but nevertheless, <laughs> when I was in college, the song came out and it impacted uh, my memory to this day. So whenever I say walk like, I want to say an Egyptian, but that's not the theme we have today, right? Because this was going on in my college, everyone walking around like this. By the way, the reason that they, Egyptians didn't walk like that, they just painted themselves like that. But here we're talking about the recognizable walk of a Christian. I don't want you to miss that. The recognizable walk of a Christian. I don't know if you've noticed, but as you think about it, you probably can recognize the walk of some people around you, right? So when I'm upstairs at my home, I can tell when Donna is coming up the stairs. She walks like an angel, uh, my wife. I, can, I walk like an ox, and you can tell when I'm coming up the stairs as well. But I actually can tell my, the, the, the gate, the walk of each of my children. I have some people at work that I can recognize by their footsteps when they are coming. And here, Paul writes to the people in this letter to the Colossians, he writes to them about having a recognizable and a discernible Christian walk. Now, we're going to look back a little bit at last week where Michael Best did just a great job bringing us the Word of God. And, he, and we don't, won't turn there for the sake of time, but let me read to you uh, what it said. This is verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, be, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. The theme of prayer was woven throughout the passage, and Pastor Michael just kind of wove that through his message so beautifully. He says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So part of our introduction, though, is I want us to look at where that passage is pointing, because I really can't get to verses 5 and 6 without seeing the trajectory of verses 2 through 4. So it starts with, uh, in Walking Wisely in Divided World, it starts with you right? He, Paul is writing to the people here, right? He's writing to the church, and he writes to the Colossians, devote yourselves. This is to you, right? The Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's to them, to you, right? It's Paul writing to them. He says to them, speaking to them, you devote yourselves to prayer. So there's the prayer that Michael focused on, right? But it doesn't end there. Then it goes to us, right? So Paul says, speaking about him and those who are with him, and pray for us, right? It's to you, the Colossians, do you devote yourselves? And then it's to Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. But then, right, it goes from you to us to gospel, to the gospel itself. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
I want you to notice there's a trajectory here that's important for us to see and to grasp, because in that trajectory we see a key part of what we're going to talk about today. We saw it so clearly in Michael's message last week, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray for us. Pray that I might proclaim. That's where the prayer laid out here. But the prayer speaks to a trajectory as well. What's actually in the prayer? What's the prayer's focus? The focus is the gospel, as Michael talked about last week. But the key is it doesn't end there because as we talk about, he says you and then, and then us and then the gospel, we see it's pointing to somewhere. We see hints of it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where Paul writes, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, divine utterance may be given to me, so that I might boldly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it fearlessly as I should. So we see the same idea here, right? So, so pray for me so that I might share the gospel. I'm an ambassador, but an ambassador speaks to something, and here's what it is. I don't want you to miss the trajectory, uh, you, the Colossians, us, Paul and his fellow prisoners, the gospel, and then elsewhere in Ephesians, all points to some sort of representation of Jesus to others. The word ambassador speaks to some sort of representing of Jesus to somebody else. So as we see the trajectory, right, it says, you, the Colossians, devote yourself to prayer. Us, pray for us too that we may proclaim. And then the gospel, pray that I may proclaim it clearly, it points ultimately to others. It points ultimately to others. And that's the theme of Colossians 4, 5, and 6 is others. Our Christian walk should be recognizable to others. Now, specifically the others here being referred to are people who don't know Christ. But don't miss this, our Christian walk should be discernible should be recognizable to others who do not know Christ. Regrettably, that's not the reputation that most Christians have. Uh, before I moved to Chicagoland, I ran a, a research company, and research project after research project showed us that people who don't know Christ often have a negative perception of Christians. Sometimes the most frequently mentioned words are hypocrites, are judgmental, and more. Why? Because perhaps our walk has not been discernible and recognizable to others in the way that we desired it to be. So today's message is quite simply walking wisely in a divided world. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Really just two points in the message today, and the two points are going to be repeated in both of the points. I'm going to emphasize a little bit of the first and then a little bit uh, at the second. But Here's the two points. First, right, this passage is about how we relate to others, and we're going to look at it in two parts, right? The, the manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness. Two simple points. The manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness. So let's take a look. Number one in our outline, the manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness. We're going to focus on the manner of your walk, because if it's true that the, there should be a recognizable and discernible difference in the walk of Christians that is seen by others, we should spend a little time talking about the manner of your walk. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, walk in wisdom, there's the walk, right? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, 
making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's the passage that we will look at today. Now, it could be translated at its simplest, you walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Literally, it could be translated, in wisdom be walking, right? So, we're going to walk in a way that's wise in how we relate to people who are outside. Even the idea of outsiders can bother some of us, but I want you to know that Paul uses this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to emphasize not that, that we don't love them or we don't care for them, but rather that they're not inside the community of Christ. And since they're not inside the community of Christ, the way they know about Christ is by the discernible and recognizable walk of Christians. So they will look at us and say, oh, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, herein is the challenge. We actually know. Statistically, that's not the first reaction of most people who don't know Christ. I remember a few years ago, we did a, um, did a survey, and did a survey of unchurched people, people who hadn't gone to church for six months or more other than a wedding, a holiday, or a funeral. And a lot of negative things came forward from that, right? Uh, the vast majority said the church is full of hypocrites, people who say one thing and do another. The vast majority said that, um, that uh, today Christianity is more about organized religion than about loving God and loving others. And you can tell they haven't been to church in a while because it's really not that organized. We'd like to think it's organized, but it's <laughs> it may have never been between time when we're changing classes. Um, but the reality is, is that now we can say, and maybe we may be able to give us some solace, that's probably not people who go to the Moody Church. Just statistically, it's a random sample of a thousand people across the United States, so maybe they didn't know us. Maybe we might show a different way. But we have to ask the question, why is Paul emphasizing this so much? Now notice in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about that, he's actually in prison while he's focusing on our walk with outsiders. See, this is key. This is so important to Paul that while he's in prison, he says, let me tell you that you need a recognizable and discernible Christian walk. Matter of fact, this is not the first time in the book of Colossians that we have heard this as well. Look with me just a few chapters earlier. We covered this weeks ago, but let's remember Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we already have heard this theme of walk in a manner worthy. Now Paul, the writer of this book, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, you're going to have to consider how outsiders see you as well. Walk in a manner, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, Colossians 1.10 tells us, right, we're, we're, we're known by God fully pleasing to Him. We're known by God bearing His fruit. We're known by God increasing in that knowledge. So, so Colossians 1 is speaking about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 4.5 says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Those are related things. You see, walking rightly with the Lord impacts everything in our lives. So, the walk in wisdom is new here, right, but key to the whole verse. It's about how we walk and how we relate to others. And Colossians 1.10 and Colossians 4.5 put together tells us we are known by others. How? By our fruit. 
We are known by others by how we act. We are known by others by the opportunities we take in redeeming the time. Now, I want you to not think about other people for just a moment, but I want you to think about the people that know you, and I'm thinking about the people that know me. Do they look to us and say, okay, there's something discernible and recognizable about their walk. And I'm not talking about that maybe you, you lead with one foot or you, you scuff your heel as you walk. I'm not talking about any of those physical attributes, but I'm talking about how you walk because you're a follower of Jesus. Is it discernible and recognizable by others who don't know Christ? Now, again, I don't want you to get caught up in, well, I've got to be then very religious and maybe walk around with a religious look on my face or maybe kind of blurt out things religiously. You know, we're not looking to make people uh, moral. We're looking to make uh, people make disciples of all nations. And disciples, we'll look at Colossians 2. Keep coming back, right? Colossians is a beautifully woven book. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 puts it this way, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. By now you've seen the consistency by which Paul has been using the word walk. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So it's not that acting religiously or walking around with a haughty religious spirit is going to somehow make you walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You need to be born again, changed by the power of the gospel, and in light of that gospel change, right, dead in your trespasses and sins, on a path to a Christless eternity, but something has changed in your life, and that change is recognizable and discernible by others if we walk in the way that God has called us to do. Now, here's what's interesting, too. Uh, Michael Best pointed out last week, and, and again, you can listen online as always at our Moody Church website, but Paul did not pray to be released from prison. I thought that was fascinating. Okay, when he mentioned, I thought it was fascinating. So he didn't pray to be released from prison. Now, if you know something about prisons back then, I actually, about eight days ago, I was at the very prison where Paul was imprisoned. And I had, happened to be in Rome, I was speaking at church and doing some things there uh, with my daughter. And, um, and so we went by the actual prison where Paul was. Let me, let me show you a picture of it. It doesn't have a picture of me or my daughter in it because I didn't want you to see my family pictures, you know. Just come use that as an opportunity to show you how much good time we had. But, but here's the prison. This is actually the lower level where Paul may have been. We don't know if it's the top level or the lower level, but there's actually a hole in the ceiling where they could lower people down. But I want you to notice a few things in this prison. There is, for example, no cable television, right? There's no air conditioning. There's no toilet. I want you to think on the depth of this. And he wouldn't have been alone in this prison. It's actually a famous prison. Today, two churches are built atop of it. It's just down the road from the Roman Forum where where so much would happen later on in the book of Acts. But here's Paul in this Roman prison, and he's writing a letter to the Colossians. And here's what I would say if it was Ed in a Roman prison writing to Colossians. Here's the totality of my letter, four words, get me out of here. Right? Maybe you too. That's normal people would write that. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
imprisoned in a prison in Rome, in, writes this book to the Colossians and says, let our lives be worthy of the gospel and noticeable to outsiders. So Paul's focus was not himself. It was actually not just praying, but praying that our lives would be noticeable, discernible, and recognizable to outsiders. This is a recurring theme. He also writes Ephesians from here, and in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Now, I don't want you to miss this, right? Pastor Erwin Lutzer put it this way, God has a proven, excuse me, God has a program of character development for each of us. He wants others to look at our lives and say, he walks with God for he lives like Christ. That's the design and the plan that God has. By the way, if you like that quote, make sure you see Pastor Lutzer before he leaves today and thank him for that quote. I didn't know he was going to be here or else I wouldn't have included the quote. It seems strange to quote you when you're in actually the same room. So forgive me for that. But our Christian walk should be discernible and recognizable to others. As Pastor Lutzer has said, he's got this program of character development. Why? So others will look at our lives and say, he walks with God. When you walk with God, you will walk differently with others. Are you tracking with me? All right. So number one, I think that little girl was tracking with me over there. You heard her. She was very excited. The manner of your walk. And number two, the winsomeness of your witness, the manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness. So the manner of your walk speaks about that how we live our Christian lives is recognizable and discernible to others. And, and, and I'm not saying that's always going to be something they appreciate. Don't miss that. They're going to say things like, well, you know, they, they don't believe things that are in line with our current culture. They're going to say things that, well, you know, they don't, they don't believe that, that they, would, they should believe about all these tolerant things in 2019. But I am saying they should look at you because you're working with the Lord in a way that's worthy of the Lord. They should look at you and say you have been with the Lord, and therefore your Christian walk is both recognizable and discernible to people who are outside. Let's look again at Colossians 4, 5, and 6. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, right? So this idea that in the time that we have, in these, in these short decades that we have, we would use that time well. Then it talks very specifically, right? Paul writes, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, if you're hearing these words and you've been in church for a while, you're going to recognize these phrases have been used elsewhere. Lots of times we talk about let your words be gracious, that grace-filled words. And, and seasoned with salt, we think immediately to the words of Jesus, who said, you are salt, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Or maybe even that how you might ought to, ought to answer each person. We think of a passage we'll look at in just a minute in First Peter. But I don't want you to miss this, right? The, the manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness is Paul's concern when he's in prison and should be ours as well. I don't want you to miss this, right? Because, again, I, I would just confess that I was, as I was down in that prison, Caitlin and I were just talking about it, and I will tell you, I'd like to think that my concern would be for the Christian witness and the character walk of Christians in another place in the whole world 
but I'm afraid maybe my thoughts would have been on myself, get me out of this prison. But you see, Paul knows that for the advance of the gospel and the work of Christ in the world, that it is essential, it is essential that Christians would be discernible and recognizable in their Christian walk. Why? Because here we find ourselves in a world that's very, very divided than it was in the past. A few years ago, I wrote an article in a newspaper called USA Today. I was asked to sort of describe something about Christians and how, how is it that 70 to 75% of Americans say that they're Christians, and yet Christians often say that they're kind of a minority and people are maybe putting down upon them and more. And so I was sitting down with a reporter from USA Today, and I sort of explained what I thought, and she said, well, you should write that. You should write that in USA Today. And so I did. And I kind of explained, if you just look at my hand for just a second as kind of a statistical tool, right? I kind of explained, you got to understand that, yes, yeah, 75%, this is 75% of Americans say that they're Christians, but it's a strange thing, but we actually don't think they're using the word in the same way that we would use it. Uh, because, matter of fact, she, she's, this reporter said to me, uh, she was actually uh, Jewish, and she said to me, how are you saying that Christians feel put upon when you've had every president ever elected has been a Christian in the United States? And I said to her, we're not using the word the same way, because I'm pretty sure there's not been this ongoing spiritual revival in the White House, regardless of what you think about any occupant over the last couple centuries. But I tried to explain that really you have to think in terms of that our culture is a little different, right? There are some people who really are convictional in their Christian life. Probably if you're here today and you're maybe seeking to walk with the Lord and you go to Bible study, you would be a convictional Christian. But then there's also a lot of Christians who just show up maybe Christmas and Easter or maybe, maybe they're, uh, I call them congregational Christians. They're, they're kind of around, but they're not really committed to Christ. They call themselves Christians, so I'm using the word that they call themselves. And then there's some people who are just cultural Christians. A lot of my family would say, yeah, we're Christian because we're, we're good people. We're not bad people. We haven't been to church in decades, but well, we're Christians. We don't, you know, walk with the Lord, but we're Christians. And then about 25% of the population is non-Christian. So using that, those terms. So looking at my hand, here's the thing. So what's going on here is important. What's going on here is, as a matter of fact, let me put it on the screen so you can take a look. That's a graphic um, that I use when I try to explain this sometimes. If you look here, what you'll see is, is that using the three quartiles here, right? So we've got, we've got convictional Christians. Those are people who are very serious about their faith, who believe things are out of step with culture and more. Congregational Christians, people who maybe show up Christmas and Easter, but they tend to see themselves as Christians. Cultural, they're not, they're not Jewish or Hindu or atheist, so they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's nothing, nothing that evidences that necessarily in their lives. And there was years ago, 10, 20, 30 years ago, this was sort of where it was. I grew up nominally Catholic in New York, outside of New York City. Uh, we, we didn't go to church, but we thought of ourselves as Catholics. We were, we were kind of mad at people who were Protestants, but we didn't really know why. Uh, we, we, we had, I mean, there was all these things. And so, so we were sort of over here. There was kind of a mainstream Judeo-Christian culture, and people who were of other religions or people who were of no religion were out of the mainstream. Think about 30, 40 years ago, how atheists were viewed or people of other religions were viewed. I'm not saying it's all good or right, but I'm saying there was a cultural divide. Here's the thing I don't want you to miss when it talks about redeeming the time. It has changed. And what has changed is not the number of people who say that they're Christian. That's relatively steady. It's gone down some. But what's changed is, is those people in the middle have changed their views, and now the mainstream culture is more of a secular consensus. It's more about tolerance. It's more about, about well, just believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Just don't claim you know the only way. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Now, 2019, we're on the other side of the cultural divide. And that means that people are looking at us, 
and people are evaluating us. And if you watch a lot of television, people are consistently criticizing us. So how then do we live? Knowing that now we're across a cultural divide, those of us who are convictionally Christian, across a cultural divide, once having been in the mainstream of Judeo-Christian culture, now on the outside across a cultural divide. What should we be like? Well, we've got to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord and discernible and recognizable to outsiders. Don't miss that. 2,000 years ago, Paul was in prison, and instead of writing, get me out of here, he writes something that 2,000 years later would be deeply applicable to us. Simply put, the manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness is Paul's concern then and should be ours as well now. And if we're not concerned about that, then we're disobedient to the Scriptures and impacting negatively our witness. See, people know this is what we're supposed to do, but you know, there's a, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Our Christian walk should be recognizable and discernible to others. How? Well, let's talk about walking that path. First, it's grace-filled. It's grace-filled. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Now, I'm not asking you to think about others. I'm not asking you to think about the busybody or the gossip that you know has gone around and said bad things about everybody who calls him or herself a Christian. I'm not asking you to think about that person. I'm not asking you to think about the person who's lost his or her temper and, and in doing so said some things they shouldn't. I'm not asking you to think about how others have lacked grace. I'm asking you to think about how your conversation is grace-filled. Let your conversation be always filled with grace. Now, Paul doesn't define what he means by grace. It could mean sharing the gospel itself. But you ever heard of a gracious person? I think it means that too. See, there are ways to not be filled with grace in our speech, right? If you're easy to take offense, if you quickly judge others, if you are ready to believe the worst about other people, if you have a consistent critical spirit, if you're happy to gossip, these are all grace-absent ways. So grace-filled ways is the call in our lives. If you live in grace, your words should be filled with grace. And you know people like that. So you don't get caught up and think about, well, these are the people who don't do that. Think about people who do and think, I want to be more like that. Think about that person who when told that something shocking and wrong and immoral that somebody else did, that they reach their hand over to the arm of that person and they say, you know what? You can be forgiven. You can work restitution. You can make a change. Think about that person. Think about the person who rather than judging the person for what they wear to church, welcomes them and sits next to them and says, I'm here with you. I see you as a person in need of the good news that I need so desperately. See, when we understand grace, that we're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread, it changes our whole attitude towards other people. Now, the challenge is this. <clears throat> For a lot of people, they're actually getting themselves outraged and angry and angrier day by day. Too many people today are being uh, discipled by their cable news choices and spiritually shaped by their social media feed, and the end result is they're filled with frustration and anger and outrage. But God has called us instead to live grace-filled lives. Imagine what it would look like if your social media feed and mine was filled with grace. Now, it's interesting. 
then we'd be recognizable, wouldn't we? I, in researching this message, one of the things I didn't know that I found out, you know, we, we have spies. You know, we all watch a movie or a TV show sometimes about a spy. You know, spies are actually taught when they're undercover to change the way they walk because it's discernible and recognizable a person, the way a person walks. And if you're going to try to adopt a new identity, you need to change the way that you walk. Now, that's a pretty fascinating thing. If you want to assume a new identity, you're going to change the way that you walk. Can I tell you? In Christ, the very definition of being born again is you're assuming a new identity. You are literally a new person in Christ. Those baptisms we celebrated today were celebrations of new life in Christ. And Harry Ironside put it this way, former pastor here said, the flame of testimony burns brightly when fed with the oil of grace. And when you have that new life and that grace is evident in your life, fed with the reality of that grace, it changes the way you walk. Your new identity walks differently. And can I say this too? When it comes to our Christian life, you have to say, we need to share the gospel. What I want you to hear with the people who know you well what you are is really more important than what you say to those people. What you are is really more important than what you say to those people. Now listen, why? Because non-Christians out there, the others here, are not looking to join up with a group of grumpy, judgmental, unhappy people. That's an anti-evangelism strategy. But grace-filled people are a magnet for Jesus. Number one on the list here is grace-filled. Number two is seasoned salt, or salt seasoned. It says seasoned with salt. Now, when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he doesn't give any explanation of what he means. And scholars tend to think of three things that it could be. One could be seasoning, one could be creating thirst, one could be for medicinal purposes or more. Preservation is another often used. But here, Paul actually says what he means. He says seasoned with salt. In other words, when people see you, they would find you both helpful, engaging. I mean, that's what salt does, right? I mean, you put salt on your food, and that's literally what he says, seasoned, so we know what he's talking about. You put salt on the food to make it more interesting or more palatable or more engageable. And, and here's the challenge, right? Here's the challenge that stands before us. There are a lot of Christians who latch on to the outsider word here and expend their energy determining who's an insider and who's an outsider. They may have their walk down. They look very religious or at least have the appearance of being religious, but they're missing the salt. They may have a life of integrity. They're true to themselves, but missing any seasoning that would attract people to Christ. And that's a hard truth if that's us. Now, don't think about the person who you know is running around complaining and gossiping and angry all the time. Unless that's you, you can think about yourself. But if that's not you, where is that in you? Is your Christian walk discernible and recognizable to others, to those on the outside? So we've talked about grace-filled salt seasoned, but it doesn't end there, right? It also points us to winsome witness. This winsome witness, it says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, now that sounds a little intimidating because you might think, well, that means do I have to answer the nuclear physicist? Do I have to answer the philosopher? Do I have to answer the, the baker and the candlestick maker? What, who do I have to answer? Well, 
by everyone, it doesn't mean every single person in the world in their profession with all of their questions and you have all the answers. Can I tell you, when I share the gospel, it's not without occasion where I just say, I don't really know the answer to that question. Let me look it up and let me get back to you. And so can you. Because ultimately, it's not about the knowing the answer to every question. It's being the kind of witness that everyone wants to hear. That's why 1 Peter 3.15 is so beautiful. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And do this with, listen to these words, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. That's grace-filled, salt-seasoned, and a winsome witness. Now, I want you to notice a few things. Um, The book of Colossians basically ends its teaching here. And we actually have one more week in the book of Colossians, so you may be thinking, well, what in the world is that going to mean? Let me, let me show you what's coming up. This is Michael Best's assignment next week, right? Take a look. These are actually all the names of people or places. Go ahead and go to the next slide. All the names of people and places that are in the passage next week. So let's pray for Michael right now, <laughs> right? He's going to have to pronounce all of these things next week. He's going to have to know where Nympha is, and he's going to have to know who Onesimus is, and and he's going to have to learn to pronounce Epaphras. And so this, just come for the pronunciations next week, if for nothing else. This is when you're in Bible study, and someone turns to you and says, would you read this passage? And you see these names, and you say, I forgot my glasses, (laughs) right? Michael doesn't get that luxury. And he'll go through and explain some of why the closing greetings are in this inspired Word of God. But this is actually the closing argument. The closing greetings have truth in them, and Michael's going to explain them to you. But this is actually the closing argument. That Paul, and by the way, he does mention at the end of this, remember me in chains. But the closing argument here in the book of Colossians, after talking about how God and Christ is, 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 is above all and in all and, and, and the enormity of who He is, the ending argument of the book of Colossians is that you and I, ought to walk in grace that is discernible and recognizable to others. The closing argument of the book with this high Christology and this deep theology is that your words ought to be grace-filled, they ought to be salt-seasoned, and they ought to have a winsome witness. And if we think that all the great theology produces angry, disconnected people, we've misunderstood this very book that we spent months on. Why? Because again, it's a theme throughout Paul's writings. It says this in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 again. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Our Christian walk should be discernible and recognizable to others. Christian graciousness evident in us. Listen, I don't want you to miss this, right? When you say, but you are not, when you use words but don't have actions, when you say, but you are not, you're a hypocrite. When you are, you will say. So listen, I I don't want you to walk like an Egyptian. I want you to walk like a Christian. And I want my life to be evident of that as well. But man, it's hard. Someone cuts you off on the road, someone undermines you at work, you don't approve of someone's actions or their lifestyle, walk like a Christian in a way that is discernible and recognizable to outsiders. The manner of your walk and the winsomeness of your witness is Paul's concern in prison 2,000 years ago and should be ours in 2019 as well. Christian does not walk in a haughty way or a judgmental way. 
but in grace, in gospel, in humility. And you can change your walk with your new identity in Christ, and people will notice. And when people notice, you get to tell them why. But when you tell them why and they don't notice, they wonder why. They wonder where's the identity that you have in Christ. Sisters and brothers, I want to encourage you, our Christian walk should be recognizable and discernible to others, the outsiders. Just for just a moment between you and the Lord, I want you to ask the simple question, is that true for me? And if it's not true for me, what area, that's, you know what, I'll be honest with you. I think it's probably true to some degree for most followers of Jesus. But as I was working on this this week, I was convicted that it needs to be truer for me. And maybe it needs to be more true and more evident for you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, we come before you today hearing Paul's words and really being struck by the fact that a guy in prison ends a deeply beautiful and theological book with a clear call to walk in a way that's recognizable and discernible to outsiders. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if that's you or how this verse might be more true, might be truer for you. Just think of the the examples he gave. Is your life and your words, are they grace-filled? Are they salt-seasoned? Is there a winsome witness that's there? You see, Chicago, Chicago land, our community needs followers of Jesus whose walk is discernible and recognizable. And in the lives that they live, they show and share the love of Jesus. Is that you this day? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to just say, no, that's not me. And I want you to believe and trust and follow him. And prayer partners will be available to pray with you at the front and on the balcony and other places so you can trust and receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus, how might you ask the Lord to make this more true about you today? Would you stand with me? Father, as we stand together in this city, we acknowledge that you're the God of this city. But as the God of this city, Heavenly Father, you call for people who will walk in discernible and recognizable ways to outsiders and to others. So, Father, as we proclaim you're the God of this city, I pray we'd live as ambassadors to this city. Those who are changed by the power of the gospel, grace-filled, seasoned with salt, and winsome witness. We sing to you and we give you praise this day.